Right here. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode number 60, and I apologize. I just looked at my uh, SoundCloud where I upload all of these, and it has been four days short of a month since my last one. And uh, I have no excuse. Um, I have been running all over the place, been uh, doing several turkey hunts, several turkey episodes, did Texas, Florida, Nebraska. Oh hunted here in Georgia, and honestly, that's all I can remember. My brain's kind of fried from the last 26 days, however long it's been since I did the last podcast, but I do apologize. I uh, reached out on Instagram a couple days ago asking some questions on what would be a good podcast, Um, and I got several questions and uh, or several responses. And honestly, I was sitting here saying I need to do a podcast, but I don't have time to really sit down and write my notes and go over each question like I'd like to. So I just kind of wanted to do one off the cuff, do it really raw. And I'm also using a new mic. We upgraded our mics, and I don't know if I'm sold on it yet or not, but uh, I'll let you guys be the judge. So let me know how it sounds versus all the other podcasts. But anyway, going forward on this podcast, I'm going to be winging it. This is going to be real and raw from me. Just uh, I'm going to see how this works out. It might be terrible. I might fumble over myself the entire time. But uh, for most of you that have listened to me for a long time, you know that I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to be as real and honest as I possibly can. And I think most of you appreciate that. So um, I've got a couple responses from the Instagram. There's only like six or seven of them. Um, I guess some of you are afraid to uh, reply to messages. Some of you PM'd me, but I'm just going to hit the ones off Instagram because, honestly, that's all I have um, time for today. So first one is from my buddy Ernie. Uh, What's up, Ernie? I know that you're a listener. Um, You've reached out to me before on some questions and some stuff and some projects you're wanting to do, so I will do my best to answer your question. Ernie's question is, what are the basic tools... PC, Mac, software, camera, arms, tripods, etc. you would recommend for an average show to film and produce a webisode. Um, I've went over bits and, bits and pieces of this uh, a couple of times on different podcasts just all over the place. Um, there's not the best answer for this because everybody's different, everybody operates different, everybody's budget's different. So I'm going to answer this in terms of what I use Uh, and then try and break it down for what an average Joe could do. Essentially, breaking it down for what an average Joe needs to get, they need to get the best of all those things that they can afford. Uh, And also, before they even do that, they got to make a conscious decision on how serious about this are they going to be. Is this a webisode? And I've said this before. Is this a webisode to show your buddies, to show your family? Is this a webisode to get some free hunts and some free gear? Or is this a webisode to make money? Um, And once you make that decision, the gear that is associated with this webisode or this project has to be according to whatever that goal is. Uh, If you are wanting to, you know, make this a a business and make money and try try to get some free hunts, get some gear, discounts, whatever the case may be, then you're going to have to spend some money. The old adage, it takes money to make money, it it does not escape this industry, I promise. 
Um, as far as specifics, I'm a Mac guy. Always have been, and as long as I can afford it, always will be. You can get a more powerful PC for the money. I'm just not a PC person. I hate them, loathe them with a purple passion. I'm sitting here looking at uh, an iMac, a uh, cinema display, Apple cinema display, an iPhone, an iPad, and a MacBook Pro. I'm sitting here looking at them right now. So I'm an Apple guy. Um, you're going to have a hard time changing me away from that. But um, that's just my personal preference. I like their user interfaces. Uh, I like most of what Apple does other than try and rape you on cost of things, which, I mean, who's not trying to do that at this point? Um, that's what I use software. I run the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite. I spend 95% of my time in Adobe Premiere Pro. Uh, dabble in After Effects, Photoshop, Lightroom. Uh, I use a lot of the you know, a lot of the suite. There's some. There's a well. I say a lot of the suite. There's five or six programs I, I primarily use. There's a lot of the suite I don't touch. Um, honestly, don't even know what some of it does, and some of it is I I, I don't know how to implement it into my um, production to where it would benefit me yet. Uh, maybe maybe I will later, but I, I don't rule anything out because like I've you know like I've said it before. I'm I'm trying to constantly learn. My, you know, that's my, that's my gig is I want to learn all the time. And if I can find something that will help me do that, make me faster and better, I'm all for it. Um, as far as the camera, uh, and, and I've said this before, I'm not up to date on some of the, you know, the Handycams, little 4K Sony Handycams, 4K Canon Handycams. I just don't, I don't do the Handycam thing, so I don't really know. I, I couldn't tell some guy that's looked you know, learning what would be a com good camera to go get. Maybe some of you guys can post or comment on the uh, on the on the thread on Instagram and, and tell me what that is. Um, but if you're wanting to get serious and you don't have a great budget, buy D D buy DSLR, buy a, uh, a Sony A7S II, buy a Canon 5D Mark III or Mark IV, and or a Canon 6D. You know, that's a great uh, full frame camera that lends itself to video. Those cameras can do anything and everything you ever wanted to do. Are they harder to run? Yes. Are they more versatile? Yes. Do they have they, they have more cinematic qualities when you want to, you know, get that look? Absolutely. Um, but if you can run a DSLR, you can run anything. So that's my two cents on that. Um, Whitetail Experience wants to know what is the difference in filming turkey content and filming deer content. Um, really. Oh, and then they, they reply to that, like equipment, the different difficulties. Uh, what do you like more? Oh, it'd be hard to tell you which one I like more. I like parts of both of them. I like it when turkeys gobble. I hate it when they don't. <laughs> uh, I like it when deer act right, and I hate it when they don't. Um, it, what it all comes down to on, on the different equipment, really, you know, the big difference that stands out to me between turkeys and deer is turkeys are on the ground, deer you are usually in a tree stand. You know, obviously, you know, there's ground blind situations and things like that. I don't hunt turkeys out of a ground blind. I have one client that does because he bow hunts, um, which you all know how I feel about bow hunting turkeys. But um, generally, 95% of the time, turkey hunting, I'm, it's run and gun. It's camera on my tripod, slung over my shoulder, uh, turkey uh, vest on with my net in the back of my back of my vest and I want to stop when I'm talking about that this is this is your real and raw moment I've been seeing a ton of guys out there filming turkey hunts they got their tripod they got their camera and they they sure are taking pictures of themselves in the field but 
they don't have a net over their camera. Their camera's sticking out like a sore thumb. Um, and you and and turkeys are known for their eyesight. So for some for an animal that's known for their eyesight, for you not to camouflage your camera, you, some you know some of them camouflage your legs their tripod, but their cameras big black blobs sitting there, and it doesn't look natural. Doesn't have natural shapes. That is to me that is the number one thing for turkey hunting to keep you hidden is to throw that net over your camera and over you. You know sometimes I sit completely under my net. That's the big difference. And, you know, in a tree stand, you can get away with not having a net over your camera. You're, you know, you're elevated 20 to 25 feet. Um, so that, to me, that's the big difference. And as far as filming the content, what's different? Um, turkeys generally are a lot faster, um, and you don't, you don't have as much time to get real um, uh, the content as it happens to where you don't have to do any recreates. I tend to have to do a lot, you know a lot more recreating when you're doing turkey hunting, just because you don't you normally have the time to stop and uh, you know hey talk about that turkey goblin talk about uh, you know what that turkey's doing talk about you know where he's at what is he hung up you know he's across the fence he's on the property line you know sometimes you do have that time most of the time when a turkey's goblin you've got to get into position to get him killed and that's and anybody that turkey hunts knows the setup is so important when you're turkey hunting it's just like elk hunting the setup dictates a lot of what happens it dictates usually whether or not you're going to kill the turkey whether or not he's going to come in the decoys and third whether or not you're going to get good footage of it because we all know that you can set up and kill a turkey and it looked like dog crap on video so to me the setup is so important and we went and i went over this in the turkey hunting episode I can't remember the number of the episode. You'll have to go back and look. But it was a full episode on just filming turkeys. And I might do an updated one. And I might do it, which I don't want to do it after turkey season. Over several turkey seasons are just not opening. I've been turkey hunting for over a month now. So it's kind of it feels like it's starting to wind down for me, even though I've got one, two, three more turkey hunts to do. So um, and then when you go into terms of you know deer content, you you're you're in the moment. You have a lot more time. You're sitting there in the tree stand. You have all the time in the world to get all those shots of b-roll you know your deer hunter telling you what's going on a deer's doing this you know here comes some does whatever the case may be uh i feel like just the speed of it is what's different but that's the thing is when you're turkey hunting and things are going so fast you've got to make sure as a producer that you can go back and tell that story you might not get it as it happens but let's be honest this is entertainment for you to not go back and recreate something just because you didn't get it the first time, to me that's a terrible excuse because all you're doing is you're not telling the story correctly because then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to rely on interviews or voiceover to tell that story. And I would much rather see that shot in the field than relying on interviews or voiceover to tell that story. <clears throat> all right, the Whitetail Legacy guys, what's up, fellas? Explain shutter speed and video mode. Explain how you keep the pop of an episode when you're editing and have seen it a hundred times, but when you first see it, it was good and you knew it, but as time viewed more, it lost its spark. Okay, so first, try and kind of gather my thoughts reading this. So, explain shutter speed and video mode. Okay, so the best way I can describe shutter speed and video mode, you got to think of shutter speed as essentially how long your shutter on your camera is staying open. The longer it stays open, the less light, I mean, the the more light it lets in. 
but the longer it stays open, the more blurred your image is. So if you want to see how it works the best, get your camera. The, the rule of thumb is on shutter speed, you want your shutter speed to be at least double your frame rate. So if you're shooting in 24, your shutter speed needs to be at least 48. That's 1 48th of a second, not 48, 48 seconds. It's 1 48th of a second. So uh, you can go down to 1 24th of a second if you really need the light, but you want to generally, as a rule, keep it at least double. So if you want to see what shutter speed does, get your camera, set it up, Turn your camera on, you know, on 24, 30 frames a second, whatever you want, whatever you're, normal, you're used to filming in, and uh, set your shutter speed to double what that frame rate is. So you're shooting 24, set it to 148th, and then hit the record button and just shake your hand in front of the camera, like move it back and forth, then watch that back. Now run that shutter speed up to like 120. Expose, you know, your f-stop, everything. Get the get the image looking right. Shoot the same image again, and notice. In the, in the shot where you were in 148th, how much blur is in your hand when you're watching that back. And then when you watch it again in the 120th of a second, 1 120th of a second, see how much blur is gone in your hand, how much sharper the edges of your hand are in, inside the movement. The shutter speed is what, you, what creates that motion blur. As things are moving quickly through an image, they don't have that sharp feeling to them. They have the blurriness to them, the milky edges. That's what shutter speed does. Is the faster that shutter speed, the more the, the the quicker that shutter's opening and closing, and the more it's cleaning the edges of the image in motion. When things are are not moving or they're slow in movement, you don't notice the shutter near as much. But when things get fast and you watch things back, um, as you know, you can see it a lot in sports. Sports run really high shutter speeds. Because in sports, there's a lot of fast movement, fast action. So if they lower that shutter speed, all that action is going to get blurred and dumbed down. So that's the best way I can explain sh shutter speed. Um, all right, let me read this question again. Explain how you keep the pop of an episode you are editing that you have seen a hundred times. But when you first see it, it was good and you knew it. But as time viewed more on it, lost its spark. So I'm assuming the question you're asking is how do I make an episode pop when I've watched it through a thousand times and you know I've got to try and keep it entertaining not only to myself but make it entertaining to the viewer. And there's a lot of projects that that do get edited over a long period of time. I do have the luxury of most of the projects that I'm doing I can sit down in three to five days and go from nothing on the timeline to exporting it and it's done. So it doesn't really have time to lose luster for me. And I think I think what you're getting at is you've been looking at because you guys told me about a film you guys are working on. I think what's happening is y'all been working on this film for so long and you've looked at it so many times that it's starting to lose luster. Well, my advice for that is stop looking at it because it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be exactly how you want it to be. It's never going to be you know, the greatest thing ever. You know, as much as you'd like it to be, it's just not. Um, you need to let other people watch it. You need to let other people give you opinions. Uh, you need to let someone else pick it apart. And uh, because if you if you fall in love with something or you fall out of love with something, it's really hard to go back the other direction. Um, 
I, I really think it's important to once you you know decide to do a project, you really sit down, drill it out, and bust it from start to finish. For you to sit there and try and make it perfect, all you're going to do is pick it apart and start to hate it. Um, and if you're working with a partner, it's really good to have them watch it through and have them pick it apart. Find places where you get bored. Find places where you can trim time. Find places that you got to remember the you know the, the viewer watching this. You got to you know it might matter to you what you're watching, but you got to remember who's watching it. And you know there's a lot of times when I'm editing something, I'll edit this one little piece and I'll watch it back through, and I'm like, why does my viewer care about that? They they probably don't. So guess what? As much as I like it, it gets cut. So that's my advice for that. <clears throat> All right, Ryer, here we go. Increasing shooting and editing efficiency. How to get the most out of your talent. Shooting editing for web versus TV. Okay, well, so this is a three-parter. So I see what you guys are doing. Y'all aren't just asking one question. You're one, yeah, you're not asking one question. You're making a comment asking multiple questions inside of that, uh, inside of that uh, comment. And I see the eighth and time guys. Um, we're concurring with Ryer. So, first and foremost, increasing uh, shooting and editing efficiency. Um, the way that you increase shooting efficiency is learn how to edit. I've said that a hundred times. Um, if you know how to edit and you're proficient at editing, it's going to cut your shooting time down by two-thirds, if not more. I mean, I average, I've, <laughs> which I recently found this discovery, I average 50 to 75 clips a day. I rarely shoot more than that just because I know what I need. And you you average that over three days, that's 150 to you know 200 and so, some odd clips. That's not a, that's not too many. You know, I can watch that in an afternoon. Um and generally my clips are not over 20 seconds total. Um so I mean you you know you think about you think about that uh, and this is for web I'm talking about web I'm not talking about TV TV is a different animal um, that's what uh, a shoot looks like to me because I go in uh, because I understand how this is going to go in editing I sit down and I just start cutting man um, because I, I start cutting in my mind as I'm shooting all right I know I need an open okay I know I know I need him to talk about this sponsor or this product or this hunt or this location or this weather I get that okay now I need footage to support everything he just talked about okay as I'm getting that I'm trying to be creative while I'm doing it don't shoot it just standing there medium wide in the middle of the room or you know the middle of the field or wherever you're at uh, you use those times to be creative um, essentially the, the efficiency for shooting comes from editing no doubt about it I don't know another way to become a more efficient shooter uh, you know, two ways. Okay, I was, uh, take that back. Learn how to edit. That makes you the most efficient. And the second is knowing your camera gear. If you know your gear backwards and forwards, confidence is key. You know, if anybody came to my class, you heard me say that. Because knowing my gear backwards and forwards, now I can spend my time shooting and getting the content that I need, not fighting my equipment, looking for a button, trying to figure out why I'm not exposed or why the camera's doing this, that, the other thing. Is... uh Knowing how to edit, being efficient with your gear. Editing efficiency. Oh, man. Um, I can really only speak from my experience, and editing efficiency has only came with time. I, I, you know, I've gotten way faster than I used to be. I used to be extremely slow. 
it used to take me two to three weeks to edit a television show, so that's 10 to 15 working days, and that's for 22 minutes of content. Now I average about five minutes of content a day. That's normally what I average. So I can rough a television show in four to five days and finish it in a day. So I can do a 10 to 15 day job in about six or seven now. So roughly in half. Um, and that's honestly came with editing for the last seven years and doing, man, I wish I knew how many shows I've done. Uh, I wish I, I probably done, if I had to guess, 75 to 100 television shows and then, gosh, I did 57 web shows last year, 57 web-based contents between web shows and one-minute Instagram pieces and teases that went on Instagram. So I did 57 last year. Um, and then this year I've done, uh, oh, man, I don't know, 10 or 15. I don't know. I I wish I would have kept up with it. But, you know, you're looking at 200, 300-ish pieces of content in the last four years, three, four years, something like that. Um, so you're inevitably, if you edit that much stuff, you're going to get fast. Uh, you're going to get efficient. Um, another thing you can do when you do that much, and I find myself doing this all the time, is you can find yourself getting in a routine to where you're not being as uh, being as creative or taking the time that you need to make sure that this project sets itself apart from that project to where everything you edit doesn't look like Caleb edited it or everything that you edit doesn't look like Ryer edited it. Uh, you've got to really keep your, you know, keep your eye on that because, you know, Ryer, I know that you do um, the community show and the community show has its own look and feel, you know, and it's going to throughout every, every episode. But once you get into editing stuff, one of these days it's not the you know the community show you got to make sure that you have the confidence and the ability to wear whatever that project is is it sets itself apart from the community show it doesn't look exactly the same uh, whether that's interview style whether that's color correction whether that's show pace whether that's music selection whether that's you know there's there's a thousand different ways that you can set a show apart from another one um but that's got to be something that you do on your own, that you've got to be creative in doing, uh, and you've got to make a conscious effort to do. Well, I guess this rambling thing's going pretty well. I'm already 22 minutes into this sucker, and I've only got, what, three questions answered? Um, how do you get the most out of your talent slash hunter? Um, I think the best way to do that is a couple of ways. The, the easiest way is to, to be very comfortable with them off camera when you work with somebody a lot and you uh, have a rapport with them and you're friends with them it's easy to be able to say hey hey that take you just did that sucked do that again let's do it again just not as you know don't be a doucher this time you know say it like you would say it don't say it you know don't be so hosty or whatever you know it's easy to when you do, you know, we work with someone for a long time and you're comfortable with one another it becomes second nature and it essentially makes the it makes the content that much better um, that's the that's the easy way to get the most out of your hunter talent. The other way is to be really upfront before filming ever starts. You know, I think it's really important to sit down with whoever you're going to be filming and say, "Hey, okay, okay look, this is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect from me. 
You can expect me to ask you a lot of questions. You can expect me to start you and stop you a lot. You can expect me to ask you to do things over again. You can ask me to. You're, you can expect me to uh, not like something and maybe ask you to word it a different way. Um, but I'm not doing that to be a you know a butthole. I'm doing that because I want this end product to be the best it can be. And if you're upfront and honest um, with whoever you're filming in the very beginning, to where you 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 line out for them that you're going to expect a lot from them. Um, that you know that generally will put someone on their toes, um, and and then also have examples. Have examples that they can look at and say, hey, look, you know, you're 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 being really monotone. I want you to really you know pick up the pace. I want you to smile more. I want you to if you talk with your hands, talk with your hands. Whatever it is, be yourself. Um, and that's very hard. That's very very much easier said than done. Just know that um, it is a very it's a dime a dozen to find. Not a dime a dozen. It's very rare to find someone who's excellent on camera their first time. Uh, it's I've only came across less than less than five that that can do it. Um, I think it's important for them to be comfortable with you behind the camera. You always need to be positive. You always need to be uplifting. Always make sure that you know when they do screw up because they're going to screw up and they have to do something over. And they'll get really upset with themselves and frustrated because they're just trying to talk. And for some reason, that camera is staring at them. Now they can't even talk. They can't even get a sentence out. You've got to be able to say, hey, look, it's okay. It's not a big deal. We've got plenty of time. Just, you're talking to me, man. You know, always be positive, reinforcing. And uh, don't ever, unless it's somebody you really know well, don't just haul off and be like, man, that, that was terrible. You know, let's... You know, always be, you know, happy-go-lucky, have all the time in the world, and uh, just be supportive of them. Um, that's the best way to do it. And and the and another thing, you know, when you get in the heat of the moment, and I've talked about this before, you know, you've got to become a cheerleader, you know, because you've got to have the head screwed, your head screwed on straight when an animal's coming in, uh, and it's the heat of the moment, because most of the time the hunter's not, unless they've been there and done that a lot. Even, which I know guys that have been there and done that a lot, that still really struggle um, with some of those buck fever situations. So you've got to do a really good job of keeping your head screwed on straight. Um, and the last question Ryan had was shooting and editing for web versus TV. Um, well, it's just shorter and quicker. Shooting for TV um, versus web, uh, it cuts your workload down by a quarter. The editing's down by a quarter. The, you know, the time, the, the hassle, the everything. Um in terms of how I do it differently, I don't film all the bull crap for web. I film exactly what I need and none of the crap that I don't to fill time. Because, you know, half the time when you're filming for television, what you're doing is you're filming content just so you can have enough to fill a 22-minute show. That's the beautiful thing about web, is you can film only what you need and nothing that you don't. Um, that's that's the biggest difference for me. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking for or wanting, but that's what I can what I can ask the best. Whitetail Experience has another question. Maybe budget gear. First items to upgrade. Effectively using drones. Feel I need to fly more to get better with it and then get some slightly better drone shots. Okay, this is a good question. So, first items to upgrade. Um, if you're running a DSLR, lenses. You know, glass makes a big difference. 
If you're running a cheaper DSLR and you put nice glass on it, man, you can really tell the difference. Um, and you can you can do different things with different lenses. You get a really wide lens, like a 16 to 35. You can get some really cool wide shots, some really shallow focus, um, you know, really cinematic shots. Then you get a long lens, and you can really blow out your background, do really cool stuff with, uh, you know, on stalks where you can, you know, rack focus from your hunter to, you know, the animal or vice versa, you know. Uh, I think lenses is a good one. Then microphones. Microphones are really important for infield audio. I think a lot of guys really overlook that. I've filmed and seen a lot of guys out there filming that don't run wireless mics, and that's stupid to me. You have to run wireless mics. Not only do you have to run wireless mics, you have to monitor your audio all the time because that will bite you. I just edited something somebody sent me that they never checked their mic level, and guess what? There wasn't on the entire episode. Usable audio. So guess what? It was junk because they didn't monitor their audio. You have to monitor it all the freaking time. Is it a pain in the butt? Absolutely it's a pain in the butt. But guys, you got to remember, the end product is what you want people to see. And if the, end, if the, you know, the raw footage going in sucks, it's really hard to make a good product going out. Uh, effectively using drones. So, effectively using drones. My, my advice for drones is... Uh, when you're flying drones, two things. Drone shots, less is more. So get up real high and give me a really slow movement or a slow pan to, you know, to get a good establishing shot. Don't try and fly fast. Flying fast looks like crap in drone footage. It needs to be extremely subtle. It needs to be nice and slow movements. Make sure you get you know, 10 really good seconds of a slow push or a slow pan or a slow whatever it is. Uh, I think when you're flying drones, you've got to remember that less is more because the more crazy things you try and do, like fly by this building or uh, you know, spin around somebody in the tree stand or, hey, let's see how close we can get to this thing or let's fly by this real fast, that just doesn't ever look good. Just look at drone shots that you really like, watch them back and see how just subtle and slow they are. You know, There's nothing crazy about them. Um, so you got to remember drone, a drone is a tool that helps you tell the story. It's not, it's not something that you got to use as a crutch. And I feel like a lot of people use them as a crutch. Literally what I do with drones is I try and make sure I use them for establishing shots and transitions. They're perfect for that because what I can do is I can establish a camp. I can establish, I can establish, uh, a house. I can establish, uh, a location, fly up, you know, pan around get two or three pans or, you know, high shots or whatever. And uh, that establishes me. That's easy to get from in and out of a location, in and out of a hotel, in and out of a uh, hunting cabin, whatever the, you know, the case may be. Another one I like is transitions, getting me from one place to another. Like if we're, you know, leaving the, you know, leaving the, the interstate and getting onto the county road, just having, having that truck drive down that county road and a slow panning motion. Um, that transitions me to the deer stand or, you know, a drone shot of somebody getting out of the truck, walking to the tree stand that gets me to the tree stand. Um, that, you know, that smoothly transitions me from truck to tree. Uh, you know, there's, there's a million different examples of this. Uh, I always try and get big wide shots of just like the terrain because that's stuff that you can use all through the episode. Um, I like to get shots of once an animal's killed, I like to get big, big wide shots of them on the ground with the animal. That's a really good way to end an episode. Um, another thing with drones is you've got to remember 
you want to try and keep drones 70-30 generic to non-generic. And what I mean by that is 70% of the time you want to film a drone shot to where there's no trucks in it, there's no identifying buildings, there's no identifying people, there's no identifying anything other than just landscape or trees or whatever. And the reason I say that is that drone shot is going to work so much harder for you because it's generic. As soon as you put a truck in there, as soon as you put a person in there, as soon as you put a building in there, that drone shot is tied to that location. And it's tied to that time of year, and it's tied to that person or that truck. So I can't fly my drone over a big patch of hardwoods in April in Georgia with my truck or my hunting camp or whatever in it and then be able to use that for a Tennessee turkey hunt that happens two months from now when everything's still green that doesn't have my truck or something in it. You see what I'm saying? Is By, by putting people and trucks and buildings and, and certain identifying features in a drone shot, that ups your production value for that episode, but it also, you can only use that drone shot for that episode. It ties you to that person, that location, that truck. So I try and make sure a lot of my drone shots are super generic to where I can use them two or three times through different places and episodes, and they, they, they get way more mileage than, man, it'd be really cool if we got this awesome drone shot of the, you know, the habit truck driving down the road. Well, that's great, but now it's tied to that habit truck. I can't use it anywhere else except for the habit. Um, you know, which you know, which most of the time, most of my clients, I don't span. Um, you know, I can't use one client's footage for another person. But when I'm flying stuff for myself and some of my own personal projects, man, I, I reuse and repackage stuff all the time. So just remember that. You know, if you don't have a client list like I do, it makes it even more important to make sure your stuff's more generic because. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be flying the crap out of your drone just trying to keep up with all those locations and places. And remember times of year. You know, you fly the drone in January, you can't use that for you know, November. You know, when there's you know, nice, pretty orange leaves on the trees, and then in January there's nothing. You know, which, I mean, I know most of you know that and have common sense, but just uh, throwing, throwing that out there. But, you know, that's my take on drones. And the thing with drones... When they get the 20% battery, come back. Don't don't try and uh, don't try and stretch that thing because I have crashed and lost. Oh man, I don't even want to think about this. Four four drones, one of which was mine, three of which were not mine. Uh, they were sub sevens when I was working there. Um, but if you have a drone and you're worried about crashing it. Don't be worried about crashing it because you're going to crash it. It's going to happen. Uh, just know that's going to happen. But the, the benefit to a drone and the, the, the advantage they give you in telling a story is unbelievable. Um, I, I highly recommend learning them and flying them uh, and test, you know, testing with them because they can, man, they can do some cool stuff. Another cool thing you can do with the drone that a lot of people don't do is you can turn it on, not even turn on the propellers. And use it as a gimbal, you know, because they have a handheld gimbal. They have a gimbal built into the, you know, the the camera on the front, so you can just hold that thing and walk around and do some really cool stuff with it. I've done that several times. All right, this is from Cass underscore Via. I'm not exactly sure who that is. I'm pretty sure I knew who that is, but I'm not 100%. Pros and cons on creating storyboards. 
Um, I think storyboards are great if you are a visual a visual learner or a visual cr- creative person. I think they are uh, really nice for projects where there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of locations. Um, or it's a, a long, ongoing process. Or you have a lot of eyeballs that need to say, "This is where we're at in the story," uh, you know, and th- you know, this is this is you know, have a visual aid to make things make sense. Um, I very rarely use storyboards, uh, just because I never did much with them. Uh, I think it's because, uh, you know, I just didn't have the the background in using them. But I definitely see their advantage. Um, but it's not something I use a whole lot. So that's, I guess, that's my take on that. Oh, shoot. Crooked Canyon Productions wants to know, shooting to edit mentality in the field. Let me start over. Sorry. Shooting to edit mentality in the field would be a good one for most. Also, possibly would be shooting reenactments versus reality captured. How to, how, how they're intermingled and what's your preference are, are on doing that. I can't read, apparently. Okay, so first thing is to shoot to edit mentality, which I talked about that already a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm going in first and foremost, who, what, when, where, why, whether. I'm telling that story. I'm getting footage to support it. Boom, I'm done with that. Now, once I got that, now we're going to hunt. Now I've got to get us to the tree stand, so I've got to shoot some sort of transition that gets me there. Once we get to the tree stand, who, what, where, and whether again. Support footage for that. Then I get creative. Shots of the, you know, shots of, you know, the tree stand, shots of the, you know, the animals, you know, all the above, and then I get creative. Um, I use those, you know, outside the who, what, when, where, why, weather to be creative. And then I'm always asking the question, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? I'm asking that question all the time to my hunter, and they're talking to the camera and telling me what's happening. Um, that's literally the basis of what I'm doing. Um, and as I'm doing that, things happen and things materialize to where I'm like, okay, I need to, um, I need to expand on this. Something happened to where now I've got to bring this into the story, and I just shoot it accordingly. Um, and I know in my head when people are talking that I have to have footage to support that talking. So I go and I shoot things to support it. I shoot the drone shots to support talking about the field we're in. I shoot shots of the bow when we drove, you know, took it off the the bow hanger to shoot at the deer I shot product shots you know all those things that's what I'm when I, that's when I say shoot to edit I'm shooting that in my head um, how it's going to lay down the timeline and I'm not shooting anything else now there there may be some things that make the cut that um, normally wouldn't um, that's where you get creative in editing where you can take some shots that normally you might not use that you essentially had as safeties that you can do, do some really cool stuff with um, but I can tell you when I look through my clips, I use 85% of the things that I shoot. I, you know, very little hits the cutting room floor um, because if it's not going to be used, I don't shoot it. Um, shooting reenactment, shooting reenactments versus reality captured, how they're intermingled. So if you watch anything that I do, there is a, you know, there's a healthy portion of reenactments and there's also a you know a healthy portion of things that happen live in the field generally live things are going to happen on gopros and things like that and i always still shoot recreates as well i'm there to tell a story i'm there to entertain so i i have no qualms about reenacting things recreating things because i'm there to 
tell a story and those things are required. You watch any movie, you watch any documentary, you watch anything. None of that, you know, very little of that, if none of that, is shot completely live and how it happened. Um, do I, am I an advocate for trying to get it live and how it happened? Yes. But it is pretty much impossible to do. Um, so, with that being said, don't don't feel like you don't sh- you shouldn't do recreates. I, I I don't see why you shouldn't. Just make sure when you do do recreates, you do them in a way that seem as real and as live as possible. Uh, it's going to require some acting. It's going to require some you know fancy camera work. But just watch a good show, watch a good production, see how they do recreates, because ninety percent of shows do them. And the ones that don't, to me, they lack some luster. You know, they, they make up for it in other places. Um, whether that's killing more stuff, whether that's the grandeur of the location or whatever the case may be, uh, or the personality is really good. Those are far and few between. Um, don't be afraid to do re- recreates. Um, where are we at? Is that the last one? Nope, one more. Drew Baker photos, solo filming setups for Western hunting. Well... That's not the greatest question for me um, because I'm just not a solo guy. I know guys that do do it. If I were going to go right now and do a solo filming trip to Wyoming or Colorado or somewhere to Elk Hunt, which I would never do because I'm not a solo solo filmer, I'll be the first to tell you, um, I would have some sort of monopod, uh, some sort of monopod, well, I don't know. How would you do a solo setup for a Western Hunt? That would be really tough. Other than just like a GoPro on your head or your chest, which everybody knows that's going to suck. Um, you're going to have to carry some sort of little tripod with you, I guess. I, I know that, um, what's his name? Uh, Tim, Tim, uh, what's the guy's name from Solo Hunter? I don't remember. Anyway, um, I know he usually carries a little tripod with him. And a little handy cam that does autofocus and pretty much runs everything in auto because that's really the only option you're going to have. And then I would have some sort of like a peak designs type of chest rig or a backpack strap rig that you can strap that camera to to where you can, you know, move and groove and get going quickly. Um, but other than that, man, I wish I could help you more on this. I, I, I really don't know anybody that solo films out west. Uh, I, I, can it be done? Absolutely. Do I want to do it? No. <laughs> that sounds really hard. Um, and it's hard enough to do it with two people, much less by yourself. It's hard enough to hunt by yourself out west, much less film and hunt by yourself out west. So if you got that one figured out and you get the best way of doing that, let me know and I'll pass the information along, but you won't catch this white boy doing it. I promise. Um, that is, let me go back through and make sure that was everybody. Uh, looks like it. So, there you have it. That's the the fly by the seat of my pants Q and A, and we're forty three minutes into this sucker. So, I uh, hope I answered your questions. Keep them coming. I enjoy doing. I actually enjoy doing that one that way. So, if you got more questions, um, hit me up. Uh, you know, tag me in something or post on the Instagram page or comment or send an email. Uh, email is redneck tech at gmail.com or red sorry, 
The email is rednecktechpodcast at gmail.com. The Instagram is at rednecktechpodcast. And the website's rednecktechpodcast.com. Pretty dang easy. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Peace. (laughs) 